How is everybody doing out there today? Happy 4th of July to everybody. I hope you had a fun time shooting off your fireworks, eating some barbecue food, getting them carcinogens in your body, you know what I mean? Uh, so I hope you guys had a good time out there. Uh, I know I did. I went out, saw some cool fireworks. Um, it was a really, really good time. And thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I know that we've been trying to get some more guests and more different things to entertain you guys over the course of the week. And so now we're here with our buddy Alex Merced. The last time we talked to Alex, I believe it was right before uh, Tres President Trump was elected. Um, and oh, wow. It and, and, and so it's been a while before we've spoken. I believe so. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that that's when it happened. And now we're here again. Elections are coming up pretty soon. Um, candidates are being chosen. And, you know, all we know about most people when you talk to people is Republican, Democrat, um, that sort of thing. And I, want, I wanted people to know more, more about what's out there, the options that you have and the different things you can learn about. Um, so that's why we wanted to bring you back, Alex, especially because we have so many people that just were like, I wish I knew of another option to vote for. I just don't really know much about anything. And so here we are. And so um, I wanted to ask you, what is the Libertarian Party exactly? Like what, what identifies it and what makes it different from Democrat and Republican? Now, the Libertarian Party is America's third largest party. So behind the Republicans and Democrats, it's us, the Libertarian Party. Um, but basically what makes us different is that generally your, your Republicans and Democrats, they're both fighting over how to use government power, how to control people, what they should tell people what to do, how should they spend their money. The Libertarian is very different that instead of being a party that's saying, hey, we want to use government differently, we're saying, you know what, we don't want to take your money. We don't want to control how you live. We don't want to tell you how to do things. We're, we're basically saying we'd, we want to reverse sort of that impulse for control. And that's very important. The reason being is that we see that how society is getting more and more divided, that you see more and more polarization, people getting more and more hateful of each other. And, and that's the nature of politics, because when you're saying, hey, decisions should be made for everybody at one time, and you're doing it based on elections, what happens? Basically, all I need is 51% of the people to give me consent to impose something on 100% of the people. And that means I only need to convince 51% of the people to be scared and fear and hate the other 49%. And that's what both parties are fighting over. Who can come up with that 51% and a message to get them to dislike or be scared enough of the other 49 that they vote against them, regardless of whether they like the candidate or not. We're pushing against that. We want things to be kind of outside the realm of government, because, for example, take a business, for example, if I'm, if I'm a bakery, I'm not looking to get 51% of the customers. I want all the customers. So my business is to get along with as many people as possible. So you have, you have, a, you have an environment where there's going to be more, more, um, more of a chance of unity, more of a chance of, of building bridges than when you have government where basically it's all about, okay, how can I manufacture that 51% of the next election, which is always going to result in fear. And why do you think it is like that? Like, why do you think they, instead of trying to, to bridge the gap more, why have they become so polarized where it's like hell or high water? I'm, if, like, I, and, and the thing I noticed, too, is anytime someone sticks their neck out there to kind of meet halfway, it's just met with so much scorn uh, from not only, you know, uh, 
their peers, but also the people in the media and, and also the, the voter base. It's like, oh, what are you flip-flopping? Or, oh, what are you doing? It's like, no, man, they're just trying to bridge the gap on something that might need for everyone to come together as one, you know? Well, the reason being is that politics is just legal gang warfare. It's all about territory. <laughs> it's all about turf. And basically, when someone tries to stick their neck out there and try to bridge, make a bridge between the two the two main gangs, what happens, you're reshuffling what people think about which gang they're in, and they're thinking whether there should be gangs and whatnot. And that's something they don't want people thinking, because that threatens their possibilities for their next election. So they want people divided, because as long as I have that 51% that's solidly going to vote for me, I will continue to have power. I will continue to be able to impose the things that I want for other people. It's just the nature of politics. And the reason why fear is so powerful, if you, um, in behavioral science studies, you'll see that people tend to grab people are more worried about losing something than gaining something. Then right. because of that's higher weighted, and then basically politicians just need to get you to vote for them for one moment. All they need to do is scare you enough that in that one moment you vote, they can do whatever they want afterwards. They just need to get you in that one moment to think that they're in your corner or that they're gonna protect you from what you're scared of. Generally something that, some fear that they implanted in your head through scary commercials and scary rhetoric and whatnot. So. At the Libertarian Party, we're trying to do a message of hope, saying that, you know what, we do believe in people. We believe that people can, that people aren't scary, that we don't need to be scared of each other. And then because right. we don't have to be scared of each other, we can let each other be free. We don't have to control each other. That message of hope is a harder message to sell, but it's the right message. It's the message that the country needs right now as we get further and further divided. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing about it, too. I think you're 100% right on it, or the study is 100% right on that, because if you think about it, right, when you ask people, who did you vote for, everyone will say, oh, well, I voted for Trump, or I voted for Hillary, like, oh, I really didn't like him, but I didn't like the other person, I'm like, well, why don't you vote for a third party candidate, or, you know, a libertarian candidate, or something, and they always say, well, I wanted to have a horse in the race, people want to feel like they're winning something, it's almost like they could care less about the politics that are behind it. They can only care about winning because that's how they make it. That's how they polarize mm -hmm. the system to make it seem that we need to win, 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 win. And winning is more than the substance behind it. And it's sad. And, and, I, and you see the numbers growing, but the public like scorn from both the left and the right of people that I've spoken to about voting third party. Oh, well, you just wasted your vote then. Well, I said, hey, listen, uh, the only way that more parties are going to come about and more ideas are going to come about is if you vote for them. Because if you don't vote for them, then they're never going to have a chance to get a foothold and be able to be an actual, have an actual voting candidate that has a chance of winning someday. 100% agreed. I mean, basically, there's a lot of barriers that are being erected every day for third parties, whether it's ballot access barriers, debate barriers. And the Libertarian Party has been one, one of the few parties that's really been successful in overcoming that. In the 40 years that we've existed, we went from being a handful of people to being an organization in all 50 states, winning offices, having growing state organizations, and a growing vote nationally. But it is hard to get people to kind of get out of that fear mindset. Basically. And what happens when you vote for the lesser of evil, you still get something that's evil. And the problem is, you end up, instead of going all the far, all the way bad, you're just going bad slower. But that's still not the right trend. It's not reversing the trend. You're just slowing down the trend. But it does take it, it does take a lot of effort, and that's what the Libertarian Party is doing. We're people who believe that that trend can be reversed. We're believing that there is hope, um, and we are growing, or we're growing quickly. We're the, I think the only party that's actually got growing numbers out of the top three. 
Republicans and Democrats are shrinking, the, the number of independents is growing. So there's definitely this appetite for a different message. It's just people don't know where to look and they're scared to, to look. Um, and it's, it's our job to kind of get out there. We need more people getting involved, more people going out there and sort of being, um, being the sales force to get that message out there that we exist. So I, I got a question. Um, yep. You mentioned that uh, Republican and Democrats numbers are shrinking and libertarian mm -hmm. numbers are growing. What do you think, it's gonna be hard to gauge, but do you think it's more Republicans converting to libertarians or Democrats libertarians, or is there an even mix? It's an even mix because different people become libertarians or register libertarian for different reasons. Like for example, I was originally a Democrat. I was back in pre 2007. And it was really the Ron Paul campaign that got me first to consider becoming a Republican, then I became a libertarian. Um, but it was, it was really the anti-war issue that really kind of struck a chord with me and got me really involved. Then I started really learning about economics and got really into the whole free market thing and everything else kind of came from that. But different people kind of get attracted to different aspects of libertarianism as sort of their, their, their gateway. And then as they learn more, they become more entrenched in it. Although what typically happens is that we tend to appeal more to the people who are out of power. So for example, when I became, when I went from Democrat to more libertarian leaning, Republicans were in power, George Bush, and the Democrats were out of power. So to me, like sort mm -hmm. of, I had this image of, oh man, these people in power, I don't like. So of course <laughs> the idea of eliminating power and saying, you know what, maybe government shouldn't have power becomes really appealing. Right. But the minute that the people you like are in power, suddenly that whole thing comes out the window. And that's why you're constantly seeing this shifting. So right now you see a lot of conservatives who used to be like, oh, small government, small government. But now that Trump's in power, they're like, shh, <laughs> no, no, not right now. We, we, we got the power, we got the, we, we got, you know, you, yeah. can, you, can talk, you can bring that back after later, shh. So then what happens is you become, hey, and like, this is what you see with Justin Amash and why he's left the, 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 the Republican party. Because the Republican party, for, while they were out of power during the Obama years, spoke a good game about, hey, you know, maybe we should, should limit government, maybe we should question government. But now that they are the government, they're like, no, no, government's great. You should not question it. Love America. You're anti-American if you question every anything. Um, so, and that's just what always happens. You end up having that switch. And then when the Democrats are in power, it's like, no, no, if you're questioning government, you're questioning the social contract. You're questioning the, the our, our, our commitment to each other. They're always saying, if you question government when we're in power, there's something wrong with you. Right. Um, so it, we, we, people who we tend, people tend to gravitate towards us when they feel like they're on the losing side, because then it's very appealing to want to get rid, get that power off the table. But we're like, we're basically Frodo and, uh, you know, Frodo and Samwise trying to throw the ring in the, instead of trying to keep the ring and say, Hey, someone, sh the right person should have the ring. We're saying, you know what? The ring needs to be destroyed. We need to throw it over there in Mordor and get rid of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good That's analogy on that. Stacy, did you have any questions for Alex? No, don't. Why, Alex? Uh, Alex, we're trying to. We're Alex. We're we're trying with Stacy. We're trying. We're 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 close. We we almost got her, and we're gonna reel her in pretty soon. All right, so we're we'll skip you then, Stacy, until we yes, get to the actual you know topics. That I don't then. Like to talk about that stuff. Well, that's well, why you're here. We're gonna push you. Well, if you if you haven't. Head over to the libertarianheart.com. You can get a free copy of a free ebook copy of my book. It's really short and really encapsulate the libertarian idea very quickly in a very, I think, way that strikes at the heart. Awesome. Now, for instance, okay, so if Stacy doesn't want to ask a question, I'll ask a question for mm -hmm. Stacy then. I know Stacy. She, she she has a family. She has two kids. What what does the Libertarian Party talk about as far as like? 
like because I know the biggest things that I'm seeing, especially in schools, and I things are getting taken away from kids first. It always seems like it starts there. They take away the sports programs. They take away the music programs. And we've already seen, like, tons of studies talking about how the young developing mind, you know, like kind of interacts with things like music and sports and, and different programs like drama and cooking at a young age and just having fine motor skills, using your hands in different ways at a young age. And all these things are being taken away, away from kids. And unfortunately, some kids don't have – the same backgrounds as others where they're getting these same type of activities at home. But what does the Libertarian Party think about social programs? Uh, what do they think about, you know, um, providing things for kids who don't have? I want, I want everyone to be provided with as much as possible. The question is how, so I'll come back to how. Um, but it's when people always think of Libertarian saying, oh, we're, we're cold, we're not cold. I want everyone to have healthcare. I want everyone to have a quality education. The question is how and in what environment are we going to make sure that the most people can have the most? Um, but that's, that's, that's a long conversation. Now, but bottom line, there's two aspects of this. One, it's always easiest to, when, when government's the one deciding who gets what, the people who are the easiest to take from the people who can't vote. So these are going to be the people in prisons, the people in schools, um, because they don't vote. The kids are too young and, 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 and people who are convicted felons can't vote. So it's always easy to take it out on them first. So that's where the Libertarian Party is different. We're not here to give a voice to people who, who just to the people who can vote, but we're here to avoid for everyone. We, we fight passionately for justice reform. We, we fight passionately for a school choice because oftentimes what happens is that the way a lot of education regulation has occurred is that it's really stamped out the possibility or the room for alternatives in education. So generally, for example, if the cell phone that I have isn't working that well or just sucks and they just keep making a worse and worse cell phone, I go to see what else is out there and someone right. else is free to go make an alternative and I can find something better, or at least something that works for me. And education is a really hard thing because what happens is that in order to most, basically the government kind of sucks up most of the dollars that get spent on education. So no one really wants to spend more because so much of their money is taken in taxes already kind of goes to that. So then what happens is that the, if you want to provide education services, you have to be accredited. But the agencies that accredit schools are all chosen by the Department of Education. So then mm. what happens is that it all gets very homogenized so then you end up getting the same thing everywhere. Now there are quality schools. Problem is, if you have a quality school, you end up having to live in a. You have to live in the right neighborhood. Yeah. And if you live in the right neighborhood, you have to afford to live in the right neighborhood. Uh, you know. Yep. So basically, you create this sort of tiered system. So the one, the way we fund schools is is just a bad idea. But the poli but like, and the only way you can change you can't change it because the poli the politics is against changing it because the people who benefit from being in the right neighborhoods are going to be like no 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 no. Right. And, and they're going to have more political power, more whatnot. So people always say, oh, we need government to do it because that's the way that the, that the, the people who don't have power can have it. But no, it's all government ends up doing is maximizing the power of those who already have power and right. basically prevents those who don't have power from creating alternatives that can provide them with a better option. But on top of that, even if, let's say, government wasn't in the way of creating alternatives, every time the government does something, it costs money, which then gets paid for in taxes. That's fine, but here's the problem. If more money is taken out of my paycheck, I have less money for other things. On top of it, as businesses get taxed, they're gonna pass it on as more expensive stuff. Um, so then what happens is I'm seeing my income shrink and the cost of stuff increase. And the right. same thing can go for every kind of cost that government imposes on business, whether it's a regulation. So that ends up squeezing my income and, and squeezing up my expenses that I see I have less money, which means I have to work longer hours to make up for it, which means I have less time to, to volunteer in my community. I have less time to spend with 
the family. I have less time to spend with my friends and community. So by actually freeing up, by saying, hey, you know what, we're gonna take less of your paycheck. We're gonna make sure we can, things are gonna be able to cost less because basically businesses won't have so many costs and they can compete those prices down. What's gonna happen is that you'll have a more wiggle room that maybe you don't have to work as many hours and you can spend more time with the kids. Or maybe you can afford a private school because you have a little more of your paycheck. Cheaper private schools can exist, like the Thales Institute in Virginia, which is actually, they spend less per student than the public schools do. And they provide them with a quality education with all the extra programs like music, drama, and all that stuff. Um, and that's the Thales Institute for anyone who wants to look that up. There are alternatives. Problem is, not every state, different states have different levels of regulation and whatnot. So not every state can, has an environment where those alternatives can exist. I mean, I know here in New York, it's, it's just really difficult because you have the, um, uh, the Board of Regents that really puts a lot of barriers on being able to educate people in New York. So they basically, any education that is available outside of the public system, is just really, really expensive. Right. Um, so bottom line so is- So do you think that creates more tiered? Do you think that creates more tiers then? Because I think that's what people are so scared about is that if you remove government out of certain things, then it allows only the people with money to be able to go in and select and pull out of you the pool. You already have that. Right, which then, you already have that, right. And you're maximizing it because when government makes it harder to create alternatives, you only end up, the only alternatives that exist are expensive because the only people who can deal with all the government red tape are the really expensive private schools and whatnot. Now, when there's less red tape, you can make cheaper private schools. Again, the Thales Institute of Virginia is like, I think $5,000 a year. I mean, that's not something that everyone can swing, but more people can swing that. And with less red tape, you could probably even create even cheaper alternatives. And theoretically, homeschooling is a free alternative. Right. Um, and then I, and now homeschooling isn't easy, but there's a lot of new programs that have been created um, through whether it's the Khan Academy. Uh, I think Ron Paul came, with the, came out with his own homeschooling curriculum. There's all these sort of self-pot homeschool curriculums that are being developed that allow Parent, to give parents more accessibility to homeschooling if, if they want that. And again, that's, I'm not saying that's the right answer for everybody. And nor am I saying, uh, problem is we think that everyone needs to be educated the same way. That we're thinking that everybody right. needs to be educated in a school. And the problem is that our laws and our rules and our regulations basically force that to be the case. Our rules kind of create it where there's only really one way to teach kids. And if you try to experiment out of that, the rules oftentimes punish you for it. And that way we can't discover better ways to provide education. Same thing goes for healthcare. Same thing goes for, same thing now more and more so in the financial industry, um, where basically the rules have made it where people can't experiment anymore and figure out if there's a better way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, do you have any more questions for Alex? Um, I got a loaded question. Okay. Are you ready? I have to ask this, right? Because we talk about mm -hmm. this all the time. And we may have talked about it before, but let's get an updated thought. What, what do you think about this wall in Mexico? I'm I'm generally uh, I'm I'm as pretty pro immigration as you get. I understand people's sentiments. Like right now, the country is 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 has got a lot of things weighing on it. And what happens is that when people are struggling financially and people are finding harder and harder to find opportunities, people look for scapegoats. And and uh, whether that can be uh, immigrants as a possible scapegoat or everyone tries to find different scapegoats because. People need to figure, feel, why, why am I suffering? Why, why is this so hard right now? When re oftentimes in all reality, it comes down to government again. It comes down to policy. Like the very same thing I was pointing out before where more taxes squeezes out your paycheck, but it also does the same thing to businesses where their costs are going up more and their earnings are more. They can't hire as much. And then investors don't want to invest in them as much. So then what happens, very high tax areas have a hard time attracting investment capital to actually grow their economies. Um, and then people see the lack of jobs. So then when they see the few jobs that do exist, they, they, they get angry at the few people who get them. 
for when people oftentimes are looking for cheaper labor just so that way they can because i mean if you're talking about most of most of this is like in restaurants um uh in a sense where basically restaurants are already really low low margin businesses so every dollar mm-hmm. really counts for a restaurant so for yeah. example this minimum wage thing has actually squeezed out sort of middle tier restaurants in areas where you have the 15 dollar minimum wage so it's just, they just don't exist anymore it's either table ser- either uh table service restaurants where you actually have to go up get your food or mm-hmm. it's really expensive um and i remember back in the day i used, used to be able to find like somewhere to go dine in and i could find something that was affordable that was acceptable you know um uh, and now it's basically dining in has become like going to the movies you know where it's i might as well be yeah. going to the opera at this point um and then that just basically creates less for everybody there's less less food there's less ex- places for me to experience as a dining experience and there's also less uh, employment opportunities for people um although you know there's different ways there's different ways of looking at it to be fair okay i don't want to say hey this is just one side and it's just my side right there's a lot of mm-hmm. different angles a lot of different things going on um at the same time so people can point to oh there's some things that i like that happened because of this true but i i'm, I'm thinking overall net 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 cost versus benefit was a net cost so then people look for who to blame those costs on oftentimes it is immigration although people always think of it people only think of immigrants as labor they only think of hey they're just more people taking jobs but they don't forget they're also consumers they're also patronizing businesses they're also starting businesses they are also um exchanging ideas for example i always think of korean tacos as the best argument for more immigration because i because p- different people who are diverse were able to associate with each other i can now eat korean tacos now that's just an argument for immigration but then there's a whole issue of illegal immigration and and i there is a difference people sit there and say you know what i'm Thank not against you. immigration Thank you. i'm against illegal immigration yes. but then but then there's but now here's my my thing on illegal immigration it's mm-hmm. like anything else same thing with drugs as we make drugs harder and harder to get uh, or illegal what happens people go to the black markets to get them right. and what happens black markets create a a realm a realm of violence a realm of crime and basically how do you get rid of black markets by making it legal like you want to get rid of dr- drug warfare drug gang warfare you legalize drugs so a lot of the violence and a lot of the problems with illegal immigration is bottom line it's a black market for immigration if you want to get rid of that black market we need to make it easier to immigrate uh doesn't necessarily mean just open it up and let anybody in i mean well i may be more sympathetic to that not everybody is and i don't think necessarily as a country most people are on that <laughs> right now right. but we can definitely make it easier so that we there's less violence there's less need for the organized crime that's built around that prohibition i mean this would be the same issue with guns the same issue with immigration the same issue with drugs when you make something illegal it's going to create a black market that's going to be less transparent have worse outcomes and create more violence so the idea is we want to move away from prohibition move away from making things that people want harder to get creating crime and try to find ways to make it easier to get in a safe way for everyone to be safer right because they say you know a lot a lot of uh you know it look if there was no immigration we would i wouldn't be here definitely mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. yeah none of us would be right so mm-hmm. um it it should be available um and yeah i think it's it's very important what you said and i i like i stress this with people all the time there's immigration and illegal immigration right mm-hmm. you know and and now there's some circumstances where you know somebody's been living in a horrible circumstance and they they're trying to just get out of there and run over the border and there should there should be some sympathy for those people too um you know the, i and it's really hard you, there's no like blanket treatment to to handle the oh, whole thing right so it's it's kind of like you know on a case by case basis but um but 
Mexico and the United States has a weird relationship. I listened to this podcast um, about this. Uh, it was on Joe Rogan's podcast. He had a guy on there. I can't remember his name, but he was an officer in Mexico. And um, he was talking about, you know, the cartel and, and all this and how they're... And, and remember, uh, Danny, we talked about the wall and how it probably it may deter some some drugs from getting right. over and some human trafficking, which is another issue. But they'll find ways around it, and they're already and doing they do. it. Like, yeah, yeah well, well, yeah. they're already doing it. Uh, they're flying drugs over in drones. Like we we talked about that, but <laughs> this guy basically said it happened. So the the wall is not going to solve that. I I understand yeah. it, you know. But um, and, there's and a wall just... in a lot of the a lot of the border anyway. That right? People don't know mm-hmm. about that, but there's a wall there in a lot of it, right? No, there is a lot. There's a lot of fencing across the border, and um, they're still build, they're still making more. But um, the thing, the only thing I want to point out that's interesting is also the, the way, the importance of linguistics and the point of words and how we think about things. Because, for example, the organization we know as ICE wasn't didn't always exist before. You had a department called Immigration and National Services, Immigration or and Naturalization Services (INS). That was sort of the immigration department that doesn't exist anymore. It got split into se- several departments, including ICE. Now, I know someone who actually used to work for Immigration and Naturalization Services, and they used to help, you know, identify uh, people who were here illegally and kind of process their paperwork. Back in those days, because it was called Immigration and Naturalization Services, sort of the mindset of people who were enforcement was to, okay, we're trying to identify people who aren't documented yet and try to identify are they risk or are they not risk and try to get them along through the process. Now, ever since when you change it to ICE, the name is different, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The word enforcement really changes the tone of what their job is. Um, it becomes less about, okay, hey, we're trying to facilitate to now, okay, we're just here to punish. And that's always why I like to stay away from the word enforcement. And, and also why I like, I'm very big on decriminalization of anything that's sort of nonviolent, uh, mm. like drug use, like whatnot, because the minute we start calling things, and again, there's a difference between decriminalization and saying something is legal, okay? Like if you decriminalize drugs per se, it doesn't make drugs legal. It just means you're not gonna get a criminal offense on your record. It'll be a civil offense. Um, and this is kind of what Fuel and Castro was talking about in the uh, Democratic debate the other day about decriminalizing border crossings. So border crossings would still be illegal, but it wouldn't necessarily mean they're going to come out at you with a gun. It would just be a little bit less violent the way it's handled. Um, you think that would that would be good? Do you think both parties would agree to that? Um, I, don't, no? I don't know. I don't think nationally that's going to probably fly at this very moment. Um, mm-hmm. And nor is it going to change a lot. Really, what needs to change is the process. Neither of them are talking about actually changing the, the, the immigration process. Like people think there's this like line, and that people are waiting in line for a year. It's it's a little bit more complicated than that. Like basically, really, there's sort of many different channels, and they're all really random. So like, if you want to immigrate here, you can either become like a refugee or get asylum, or you can do one of these EB5 visas where if you're rich, all you have to do is buy like, a building, and you can now have a visa here. Or there's um there's lotteries, so basically you have to be hope you're drawn out of a hat, um, and then a couple other ones. But there isn't really like a, you know, if you're someone who just wants to immigrate here, if you don't fall into one of these sort of lanes, you can't just say, hey, let me wait in line and, and wait for the, my paperwork to be processed. It doesn't really work that way. And I think that's one of the things that people, I think that's one of the pieces of misinformation that really kind of misinforms the debate, because people are just imagining, well, why don't people just get in line? It's, it mm-hmm. doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> uh, that, and I mean, and I think, Maybe Damn, that immigration probably. line is hell long, man. <laughs> I've, I've been on there four years now. <laughs> but do you think? I mean, do, yeah. do you think? Um, speaking of, you know, we talked about a little bit about prohibition, and do you think yeah. if in the United States, if you know, because Trump's Trump's big thing is 
the, he wants to stop the drugs from coming into America. Now, would it, would it not be a very much cheaper option to just decriminalize or make these legal. drugs legal, legalize them? And that would sort of be a huge blow. And, and that would really like because, you know, it's, it's about the cartel shipping the drugs into the United States. And, you know, like it or not, the United States, we're their biggest customer. OK, uh, so mm -hmm. so so if you legalize it, does that not take the power from the cartel and then eliminate that issue altogether? Puts it, it in your pocket, too. It gives you money to be able to turn around and profit off of it and, and make money. It yourself. creates new jobs. It does create new jobs, new industries in the U.S. It, um, and again, uh, let me just nuance what I said. I said legalization, but I didn't mean that. What I mean is end prohibition. There is a difference. Because when you mm -hmm. say legalize something, you're saying that the government has to give you permission. The, the, the real idea is that you, the government shouldn't have to give you permission for you to consume or produce the things that you want. So any mm -hmm. prohibition just means recognizing that distinction. Um, so I just want to make sure I pointed that out. But um, it, again, it would economically be better. You're creating a new industry that would produce jobs here um, for those who want to make sure there's more jobs here. And then I think a lot of people would be, be for that. But at the same time, you're also going to reduce a lot of the damage because a lot of the overdoses, a lot of the really bad ramifications is because you go to the black market to buy drugs. And then oftentimes mm -hmm. you don't know what you're buying. There's no quality. Unregulated There's product. no way to test. People yeah. are dying all the time, dude, especially with the fentanyl that's going on. And it's now it's exactly. put in cocaine, which is like a super social drug that people use often at parties. And now people are just dying from touching it. It's crazy. Yeah, because people don't know what's in it. And I mean, you're just like testing kits. But I mean, oftentimes you're in the middle of a party and someone has you something, you're like, okay, let me go sit down and go test this for a second. I'll be back in 10 minutes. You know, it, it, it's. Hold um, on. So, my, my cousin knows him. We'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. We're good. So, yeah, yeah. And, and then go, and just to tie it back, this is the same thing that happens with coyotes on immigration. You don't know who you're hiring to get you across the border. So these people end up, end up being sent into human trafficking rings or they end up dead yeah. before they get started mm -hmm. the border and their organs are sold. So when you put things in the black market, you're putting people in the hands of people who are going to be a lot less ethical and they don't care about what they're doing with their clients. Because here's the thing, there's no, there's no Yelp where you review your drug dealer. So they're yeah. not worried about getting a bad review. Um, but if I go, if I were to go to Walgreens to go pick up, you know, some weed, um, you know, if, if they lace it with fentanyl, Hey, you know, someone's going to write a bad review on Yelp and that Walgreens will probably go out of business pretty quickly. And then, so there'll be a little bit more quality control, transparency in the provision. doesn't mean I want everyone doing drugs. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much as, 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 as boring as you get. Straight but edge. It doesn't mean, yeah. But it doesn't mean, <laughs> I don't think, I think everyone should be boring. I want people to have as much fun as they want and I want them to be in an environment where they can be responsible. And if people aren't free to make mistakes, they can't learn how to be responsible. That's how we learned as kids. If right. Once I burnt my hand on the stove, I learned not to go near the stove. You made small mistakes as a child and that prevents you from making huge mistakes as an adult. The problem is we prevent people from making so many mistakes earlier on in life on a small scale that we're, they're making much larger scale mistakes. And then we're creating so many areas where they can make those large mistakes by calling everything a crime that everyone finds themselves at the end of enforcement, which also means that they can't vote. So then the, the pool of people that you have to cater to as a politician becomes shrink, shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And then basically everyone feels like no one's speaking for them because no one is. Right. And, you know, and what really makes me mad about the whole immigration thing, too, is the the mindset that people have when they come to the table and talk about other human beings. Like we've been migrating as human beings since the beginning of time. We've always moved to find better weather in different seasons so we don't die, to find better land, to buy f f uh, better food, better opportunity. And now, like as Americans, it's just so funny 
being built on immigration. Now we're so pompous in our ways and so locked into who we are that we can't even sympathize with the act of trying to migrate. So now you have people talking about other people in this fashion. Oh, well, as a mother, I could have never imagined myself putting my kid in harm's way and then look at them. They're dead now because they did that. It's like, oh, well, well, it's how pompous of you that like, you know, you, sh your dad shot a load and you happened to survive and make it. Okay. And then you got in the egg and then your mom was there. Everything worked out good. Right. And guess what? You happen to be in America when you birth, when you, when you were birthed into the world, which is probably another very small percentage of people in the world that are born here. So you are literally a walking miracle, and you're looking down on someone else who's who was born in the worst circumstances, with police who are corrupt, with a community that's corrupt, with people who are scared to speak up because their heads wind up on spikes inside one of the fields in their neighborhood, or their kids get slaughtered, or they chop off their hands. It's just it. You can't see someone trying to leave that situation and make a better situation for themselves. And the jobs that they're taking, they're not stealing your rocket scientist jobs. They're not stealing your accounting jobs. They're coming in here and they're busting their ass. Let's be real about it, okay? Like the all the all the people that come from Mexico that I worked with when I was younger and we used to pick people up for construction, all those dudes would bust their ass from the moment you pick them up to the end of the day. That's all that they did. They're taking jobs in fields, doing jobs that your pompous butt is already looking down on them. You wouldn't do anyways, and then you're getting mad that they're coming in there and doing those jobs for you. It's just I don't understand how people in America cannot sympathize anymore, and it's going to wind up biting them in the butt in the future when we get in trouble and we need to migrate somewhere else and people need to take us in. And they're going to say, you know what, fuck you because you treated everyone else like they were beneath you. Now you're beneath us. Go away. That's what's missing in the conversation. You said a very particular thing. I don't understand. It's become harder and harder for everyone on all sides to understand each other. Part of this is just the natural division that's occurred in the country where basically, when again, that polarization where basically people on both sides are looking at each other and saying, well, the other side is, is evil and they only think the things that they think they're evil and I should have make no attempt to understand them when oftentimes everyone is in the position that they're in because they're scared. There's like, you know, that person, I, well, I disagree with that person who's very um, closed border, let's say. I, under, I understand, I understand that they, they're, right. they're thinking, okay, I need to put food in my family for my kids and I'm having a hard time doing it. And I don't understand why this is happening. And they're just looking for somewhere to feel like they can vent that frustration towards. I get that. But the problem is if we don't engage and try to understand each other, even if we disagree with each other, it's going to be harder and harder to have those conversations for us to find that common ground and rebuild those bridges so that way society isn't so divided anymore. Empathy, emotional intelligence is one of those things that I've been really, really trying to emphasize and bring back to the conversation um, because that's, politics has really taken that out of society. I mean, and it also part of it's the economy. I mean, we take go well, back to the 90s when things were like all hunky-dory. I mean, immigration wasn't as hot a topic um, right. because people were doing good. People look for things to blame, whether they want to blame rich people, they want to blame immigrants, they want to blame whoever, they're, they're going to blame it when things are tough. And that's been the last 10, 15 years, pretty much my entire adult life uh, ever since the, 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 the Great Recession. And politicians are going to latch onto that and say, hey, people are scared, people are frustrated, this is perfect for us to build our coalitions to win the next election. And then they just, it just builds on itself. And government has made it harder for the economy to rebuild because it's, you know, I mean, if you try to look, if like I know in here in New York, if you try to start a business, I mean, 
if you don't have like a hundred rand out of the gate, you're, you're probably not starting a business. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was in Ohio, I started a business, a, a small retail store with less than 10 grand with me and my buddy who were just college kids at the time because the rules were a lot less, the costs were a lot less, it was possible. Um, so in New York, really, you can't start a business unless you're in bed with the government because you need some sort of grant from them or some sort of permit from them. And the only way you can get that permit is if you grease the right palms in New York or else you're waiting six months and refiling a permit over and over again before you finally get it. It's New York has made it where there's so many, and, I, and I'm sorry, I'm picking on New York so much. It's just, that's where I am. Uh, <laughs> that's why you're leaving, uh, right? <laughs> I mean, that is, it's not so much, as much as that I want to leave more than I can't afford to stay. <laughs> right. Got but, um, and then that's, that's more and more people's, that's more important people's situation where they just can't afford to stay. And that's because of all these different things. I just don't, that, and then what's happening in New York isn't just unique to New York. It's happening across the country. New York is just one of the older states. So it's much further down that pipeline. Um, but it's, it's, if you're seeing it happen everywhere, you're seeing it grow. Um, it's just because everyone's become so cynical, um, that you're either cynical. So you're like, okay, why not just misuse government and try to get as much as I can out of it? Um, or, you know, you become, you've become, you've lost so much faith in humanity that you, you want to give government all this power to help people, but then the people who are cynical then go, well, thank you. You just made my job easier. And then they go and right. misuse it. So you end up having this big cycle where the individual is just losing power over their own lives and people are frustrated. They feel hopeless and someone needs to give them hope. And that's what the Libertarian Party is here for. Well, Alex, dude, that, thank you so much for coming in, man, and just speaking for a few moments on it and just kind of getting into, you know, some conversation because I think it's just super important that people understand that there's options out there and that, you know, having a winning horse, you know, in the race, it doesn't mean that horse is going to win today. But if you don't go out there and try different things and vote and look at some different information, there's never going to be a win tomorrow. So really appreciate you coming in and, and talking with us. Is there any links particular? I know that you the links that you gave me, I, I, I put those on there. So is there anything else that you want to just tell anyone that want to, wants to reach you or know more about the Libertarian Party before we let you go? I encourage everyone to check out my website, alexmerced.com, and to subscribe to my podcast. Um, just type in Alex Merced in your favorite podcast thing, and you'll find lots of podcasts that I do. Some on business, some on politics, some on just feeling hopeful and good about life. But um, do subscribe to the podcast so that we can be part of the conversation. Um, I'm trying to constantly kind of keep this conversation going uh, so that way we can kind of unite the country again. But also, please do pick up a copy of my new book, uh, The Libertarian Heart is the name of the book. It's, a, it's basically the goal of the book is to try to show you that more compassionate, love-based libertarian message um, in a very brief way that, you know, if you don't like one, you don't want to read a long book, this is not a long book. You can pick it up uh, over there at thelibertarianheart.com. You can get a physical copy or you can get a free ebook. It's free. You just go to libertarianheart.com. I just want people to read it. I want people to kind of get the message and hear what I have to say and understand why this message is the right message right now that we need to bring this country back together. So uh, thank you for that. Again, alexmerced.com, thelibertarianheart.com, and find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify.